Hello and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. Today we're going to be exploring the four key fashion trends every brand needs to know for 2020 and beyond. To discuss this, I'm joined by Sue Evans, fashion expert and catwalks consultant for Stylus, and Emily Gordon-Smith, director of consumer product at Stylus. Welcome to you both. So let's get straight into our first big trend, the need for all of us to buy fewer clothes. Now, we've discussed this um, before on the podcast, but perhaps, uh, Emily, you could quickly restate why this is such an imperative now. Yeah, I think the, the big point is we need to buy less new clothes is is, is the real feature here. Um, we have talked before, as you say, Christian, about uh, resale models sec- being secondhand. Let's let's call it secondhand. It's much broader. And rental models. Uh, big stats around that still really key uh, in terms of uh, secondhand clothing growing 21 times faster uh, than traditional fashion retail sales uh, for the past three years. And then uh, also a kind of big number, that market growing to $51 billion from $24 billion, so growing by 100% over a five-year period to 2023. So really being driven, I think, by secondhand and rental, um, that's all booming. But I just think that there's so much more that retailers and brands can still do in this area. No, I agree. Um, And we really, really don't need to go and buy more clothes, do we? I mean... No, there's there's £30 billion worth of clothes sitting in the back of people's wardrobes in the UK alone. So that's just, you know, kind of redolent of the size of the issue that, you know, in the Instagram era, people buying things and wearing them once. Well, it's to be Insta-ready, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, And also, I suppose, there's so much promotion of clothes you know like you've only got to go online and you've got the newest zara collection popped into your email you know it's like it's it's so tempting but um it's so unnecessary it's just we just don't need to keep buying so what what do you think is driving this is it, is it the the consumers who are wising up to this or is it uh, designers and retailers who are starting to realize that it's unsustainable yeah i, I mean i think things like the depot phenomenon is quite um, that's quite exciting. That's really exciting because that is showing that the younger, mm. younger um, generation of consumers really, they're, they're they're really quite engaged with the idea that you know to buy secondhand is fine. Um, the rental model is definitely growing, but it's still kind of tiny versus the whole of the marketplace. And what's driving this is ultimately, yes, uh, you know, people's sustainable uh, and personal ambitions. It's it's very consumer consumer-led but we're not really seeing yet retailer and brand models where they're fusing all of these things together and really thinking right if people are going to be buying less new clothes how do we address this and what does the modern store look like what does the modern retail model look like so you mentioned the depop phenomenon there um could you just explain what that is for people who might not know what you mean? Uh, so Depop is a peer-to-peer uh, resell or second-hand uh, platform where mainly young kids are buying and selling old old clothes to each other and actually creating uh, a, a, a resale economy um, amongst that, that younger community. Great. But in, in, in terms of our generation, mm. would you say we're doing the same thing on eBay? No, I mean, it's really not happening. And I think... uh, why isn't it happening for our generation? Well, I I do think it's up to traditional retailers and brands to be picking up on this. And we know from our own clients that we are getting lots of, you know, 
one of the biggest questions we get asked around how can we behave more sustainably is how can we engage in a resale or a rental yeah. model? This is what I was just about to say. I don't understand why. And maybe it's happening and I haven't heard of it. But um, why retailers... I'll pick a name out of the air. I don't know if, that's, if I should or not. But say H&M, you know, fast fashion, cheap, cheerful. Everybody goes and buys, you know, something throwaway. Why haven't they got a section within the store where you can either rent, you can buy, or you can return, and it goes on resale as a second-hand garment? So interestingly, I got a, a message yesterday from somebody who's, who's launched a startup, which is all about trying to help big brands and retailers engage in these models. So it was about um, seeking more consumer information around whether or not there's an appetite for something like that. So the idea that after a season's wear, mm. you can bring your clothes back exactly. to X retailer yeah. and see, you, you know that that you may get credit for, etc. So we, we vaguely had it once, M&S did, did do an initiative, I remember, where if you bought back an old M&S um, garment, you got £5 off buying a new one. You yeah. know, it's initiative, it's an initiative, but it's not very visible. We're seeing it happen at a luxury level. So recently, uh, Selfridges yeah. collaborated with Her Collective, which is a rental platform, peer-to-peer, and they took a space in Selfridges, and My Wardrobe HQ also opened at Liberty. But this is very much at a retail level, and I just it think... It's also very luxe level, it's very high-end. That's what I mean, it's a it, luxury it's level. There, yeah. That's not really what's causing the whole phenomenon of too much clothing and too much production. It's yeah. really mass-market level, we really need to be addressing this. I think as well, if you think about the Depop model, which is is peer-to-peer, and it is, uh, it, it's quite kind of junior-led um, in terms of consumer demographic. Um, you know, who is going to be the first retailer, like fast fashion, junior-led retailer, mm. to to look at the store space and look at the model and say, OK, we are going to have a rental space and we are going to have a second-hand space. And let's call it second-hand because it's not... Resale actually applies to something that is more luxury mm. um, in emphasis. I, I, I also think that brands and retailers, in terms of buying less new clothes... We need to keep re-talking, you know, keep reaffirming this issue around waste materials that we've already created and about dead stock, all this dead Mm. fabric that exists. Well, we are seeing designers address that, aren't we? I mean, Mm. we've just finished New York Fashion Week and um, Gabrielle Hurst did a fabulous collection and it was all from recycled materials. I mean, a lot of designers using dead stock fabrics. It's not, it's been going on for a few seasons, but... My issue with that is how do you, how does that work at retail? Because, you know, what what are the what are the runs or the production capabilities when you've got a limited supply of stock? Well, is that, does that then become an opportunity for parts of your collection to look like, uh, you know, that to be have a luxury emphasis and that it being limited edition that yeah. once it's sold, it's gone and it's got a one-off yeah, kind of buy it a one-off now appeal. And then it's gone kind of thing. But yeah. I think more and more designers are turning to dead stock using old fabrics, even old fabrics within their own studios. Yeah. Um, you know, there was um, a designer on New York uh, Catwalks, the name escapes me for a second, but um, they'd actually created a collage instead of using printing, instead of printing fabric with prints, they'd actually used all the old prints out of the studio, collaged them together, so created a print out of collage prints, if you see what I mean. Yeah. But that was dead stock fabric that was just lying there. 
And sometimes I think there's a misconception that dead stock fabric means that it has to look vintage and that it has to look, you know, it's going to be quirky and sort of 1970s print and pattern or something. And actually I've seen some great examples recently which look like you might have bought this in Cos or it it looks very kind of, you know, simple. It's of the moment because it's probably last season's fabric. Last season's fabric. Um, Great. Well, lots of opportunity there. I'm sorry I have to cut in because we've got three more trends to get through um, and our next one is the death of the runway <gasps> uh, is the runway as we know it over oh god well, i hope not That's, otherwise i'll be out of work <laughs> no i don't think it's over personally um i've been working on catwalk since 1980 um and i don't think it's over i think it's just changing and i think there's a huge opportunity for um change within the industry um, so I what's, don't, bit, what's important about the runway well, I think and it's why, a sh- why does it need to change? Um, I think it needs to change because it's, it's too much of it. Um, it's, it's like grown like topsy and it's, it's totally unnecessary, a lot of it. Um, it's become like a circus because it's probably as important to a lot of people what people are wearing outside the shows as what's actually on the runway. Um, so it's become a bit of a media circus, which I think is totally wrong and over. Um, but I still think designers need the showcase of a runway. I mean, you know, incredibly creative product needs to be seen. It needs people to see it, to be aware of it, to um, to feel the thrill of looking at it. You know, um, so I don't think I don't think that will ever be replaced um, by people doing you know, installations or trunk shows or... It, it's it's that magic. It's a little bit like going to an art gallery and seeing a painting. I think that's right. We still, we'll still we'll still always need that inspiration and that aspiration, mm. but the format of the traditional runway, I think, is kind of over as we know it. We, we, we've passed through that golden era of when the runway was super relevant, which was when fast fashion was... Designer fashion was really important because fashion was getting faster and uh, it was it was pre-social media. And so, you know, there was a real point to, to why runway shows were so exciting well, and only, so relevant. It was the only place you could see the clothes, yeah. that, that season's collections. Probably a lot of people aren't really aware of, of the history of it. Pre-2000... Um, the only people that went to fashion shows were buyers and fashion editors. There, there was no, there weren't people, you know, getting in. Maybe students were going in, but it was basically for the industry. So it was an industry show for the industry. And the only time the general public got to see the clothes was when they appeared in Vogue or fashion magazines three months after the event. But, you know, of course, then Vogue Runway took off. And now, you know, the general public can watch shows live, you know. They can watch the Burberry show as it's happening. Yeah, well, this is an interesting point because we, we've just, uh, we're just about to publish a report on Stylus about um, uh, tentpole events like the Oscars and the Emmys and Super Bowl where you have a captive audience and you are creating content around that and how, in actual fact, it's been quite archaic for a lot of these events for a long time in the way that they try to engage new audiences. Um, and I think they could all learn a lot from fashion in the way that... that, that the whole uh, impact and, and uh, way that catwalk shows have been um, upgraded for the social media era has been very successful. I think yeah. you have you now have a much wider audience for these. Yeah, sorts it's of definitely things. it's definitely democratised it, but in a way, it's taken away the point that we're talking about, yeah. which is that it 
traditionally these shows are for the for the industry um it's definitely democratized it i think the bigger issue as well is that with all events and not least runway shows because this amounts to thousands of people being involved in something that literally lasts six minutes um is that it has a terrible footprint and it's completely unsustainable so somewhere like uh uh, Stockholm Fashion Week that last year was cancelled and they're working on new strategies around how to help brands and uh, designers to to present themselves without this circus that we've described which is, is completely irresponsible um, but, but also I, th- I think you've got to think you know We've got now, you know, years ago, or not so long ago, we didn't have resort shows to the point we have them now. They were just small showroom appointments showing a very small collection of maybe 20 garments that would, you know, brighten up the shop floor between seasons. Now, editors are flown round the world, you know, the bigger the destination, the better, to see resort shows like Chanel, you know, have it in Tokyo or Louis Vuitton will have it in Miami. So to describe what that means, um, if you're not familiar with the different seasons in the year, it's not just about a spring, summer and an autumn, winter season anymore. There are, are at least four seasons in the year, mm. plus you have men's shows, plus you have the couture. So literally, and, and you have other cities now, not fashion just, not just the big city. four. There are, yeah, there are fashion weeks in every city. So you literally could, you know, be trotting around the world, going to fashion weeks but all through the hardly year. Hardly good for the carbon footprint. No. <laughs> Which again is something you've got to think about, the whole sustainability issue. It, it's inclusive in that as well. I mean, it was quite interesting. Philip Lim, big designer in New York, you know, very well known for a long time. Um, he, this season, showed on mannequins in a, a static showroom presentation. It looked awful. Like, I didn't even really edit the show because it, it didn't have that appeal that seeing it on the runway would have done. But he said, it's no longer about clothes, it's about being part of a circus. And he said, and I'm not a circus performer. So that was his rationale behind not showing. I don't think that is the answer. I don't think static presentations are the answer or even going to show and looking through a rack of clothes. I think we still do need catwalk shows. I just think it's got to be done in a different way. So something interesting that is happening brings us right back to technology uh 5g um and three mobile uh a a recent initiative just literally last week uh central st martin's collection at london fashion week uh using five a 5g enabled show was created where the models were digitalized full size in real life on the runway with the actual model sitting on the front row now this was being kind of touted as this is great. This means that models could do three runway shows at the same time and be sitting in a show. And I thought, well, that's not really the point, is it? Because actually, isn't this an opportunity for us to all watch the shows on our three mobiles uh, without anyone having to have travelled anywhere? And I'm not being funny, but what is really mad is that now everybody sits in runway shows watching the collection through their phone I know, anyway. Exactly. So you don't really need to be there. No, you really. it's actually true. That's really true. Um, but people want to go, don't they? Because it's the it's the moment, it's it's the atmosphere, it's being part of it. And I think sure. that's I think that's another, you know, a whole other side of it. Well, Burberry's show uh, this week, London Fashion Week, uh, was a carbon neutral initiative, and I think more and more we're going to see things like that. Plus, but it techn- wasn't fabric wise. No, in terms of the actual yeah. runway. So yeah, I'm thinking so, about so the actual really, runway. Show. For me, that was a bit playing lip service to it. You know, it was a little bit of a lip service publicity. Well, I think we, we will see more and more that designers are, are trying to carbon neutralise their presentations, but we'll also see more of this sort of 
interesting digital technology stepping in as well. What that amounts to is, you know, we're yet to see. But I think there's that also could be going... the answer, couldn't it? That's yeah, because that's sure. working hand in hand with technology, but still delivering the, yes, the exactly. engagement opportunity. Mm. And then I think uh, we will see more fashion weeks being cancelled. We recently saw Shanghai Fashion Week being cancelled for other reasons around coronavirus, but it will be exciting to see what they've done to counter them having to cancel that. They will have had to come up with strategies for a different reason. But yeah, I certainly think the format itself is uh, something that will be very look very different in recent in, yeah in I, co- I agree great yes. let's move on to our third trend then which is the revolution in menswear something which i am very much looking forward to <laughs> uh, uh how is this being expressed uh, in design and retail then and what are the drivers and influences well i think this is super exciting this we we haven't seen such a shift in menswear i would say since the 18th century <laughs> goodness gracious <laughs> well i don't Emily remember. remembers it well <laughs> <laughs> Um, apart from maybe a brief period in the 60s, which also I don't remember, a sort of peacock revolution. <laughs> I do remember. In the, <laughs> in the 60s. But yeah, menswear is becoming highly feminised, incredibly fluid. There's a real feminine emphasis. Um, it's definitely much more exciting than what's happening in women's wear. Uh, it's a peacock revolution, isn't it, really? Very much so. And people like Billy Porter, you know, you've seen on the red carpets, um, wearing a, a sort of adopting quite extreme versions of this look which we're not saying is commercial but then you've got people like Harry Styles emerging as massive influences yeah, did you see in him uh, last night on the Brits yeah head to toe in cream lace yeah which I thought looked quite amazing with white braces it was you know I mean it's kind of the antithesis really isn't it of the 80s you know it's weird because women's fashion is very much back at the 80s at the moment in terms of styling but menswear is is not even tapping into that you know the Wall it's Street kind of trend it, it's completely different, yeah. And I think what's interesting as well is that um, you've got male designers um, at the head of luxury houses like Dior Homme and um, in uh, Louis Vuitton, Louis Vuitton um, kind of drawing on the the whole aspect of couture, the you know the workmanship of the ateliers that they've got at their disposal, but not just translating it for women's wear, actually putting that now into men's wear, which I think is a very interesting concept, and it really changes luxury men's wear. Um, and recently, the, end. the recent menswear shows were full of jewellery. Oh, totally. Like, pearl earrings. You couldn't move for pearl earrings. And if you think of, you know, back to sort of like the 18th century, 17th century, pearl earrings were a, a sign of status and everything else. And suddenly, you know, all these guys on the runway wearing pearl earrings, it was really quite phenomenal. I think also you've got the male beauty and kind of grooming yeah. um, boom to reference here. So really such Huge an exciting, mark, yeah. yeah, and such an exciting time uh, for men versus women. Uh, how, how is this going? To, but you, you talk obviously about um, sort of the higher end of, of this uh, phenomenon, but how will, it, how will it emerge into the sort of commercial Well, I, I think it does emerge, doesn't it, eventually? I mean, men are a little bit more, you know, slower to catch on to trends than women's wear inherently. But, you know, if you think how many men now it's acceptable, they find it very acceptable to wear pink. I mean, I know that's just a minor thing, but years ago, a man wouldn't have worn pink. But now it's it's very acceptable. It's part of a men's colour palette. Um, floral prints, 
like you know rose print shirts or floral print shirts very acceptable now velvet again it's that whole peacock thing I just think it takes a while to filter down, but it will filter down to the sort of top shop level. And you've got in, in influencers like Harry Styles wearing a lace shirt. Well, hey ho, that's going to be in top shop very soon, isn't it? You know, because guys take that. You know, they take influence from what they see on TV, on MTV Awards, whatever Brit Awards. I think that's right. The fact it's been picked up so massively by major celebrities and musicians means that it will have an impact. And men are you know the market for men's makeup at the moment that is booming men are wearing makeup and yeah, I like your lipstick shade Christian thank today. you very it's much very yeah. nice. <laughs> looking at you know hair styling differently and uh, yeah certainly colour um, you know is a massive thing um, and print and pattern fantastic well I look forward to yes I look forward to upgrading my uh, <laughs> my makeup um <laughs> So finally, our fourth trend. Uh, this is a big one. The new face of luxury, restrained and understated. So what do you mean by this? Well, we've reported for quite some time now about how there's been a whole side to luxury which has been very kind of street style and youth-led. Mm. Um, it's been a massive thing for quite some time now and it, it hasn't gone away. It's still really important for certain demographics and particularly in certain territories. But what we are seeing is a, a, quite a meaningful shift back to what I would call towards true luxury, so very res restrained, crafted and understated. And again, this is underpinned by sustainability, as is so much of what you know we're talking about here. Uh, we are seeing examples of that on the runway. We are. I think, it's, I think it's a really important trend. Um, I think what's new in luxury is that you seek out individual pieces. So it's not about you know, going buying the Burberry trench coat anymore. It's it's seeking out the trench coat that's a little bit more individual, maybe, or knitwear that's handcrafted. So you feel like you're buying a unique piece, a one-off piece, because that's the statement you're making. That's the luxury. And also looking at, you know, because there's a whole return to tailoring within um, women's wear at the moment, um, it, it's a return, people want structure back in their lives. So I think the whole return to tailoring is very important. So brands you know, producing kind of luxury tailoring. People like the Row, um, who are a, a brand in um, America, um, very, they've been doing this forever, haven't they? It's very restrained, yeah, very, restrained. very quiet, very, very understated. But it's kind of stealth wealth. You know, no one else knows that that jacket probably costs $2,000 and it's got whatever you know, made with alpaca or whatever, but you know because you've bought it, you've sort, you've sought that out yourself. You've not been, you're not buying into a marketing strategy from a big luxury brand. And I think that's the difference because that whole luxury thing tying in with street, it was very much about marketing. Um, but now I think it's more about people sourcing it for themselves, discovering it for themselves. A good example of that is also with denim, which can yeah. also be luxury. Say somebody like Black Horse Lane Atelier in the East End of London. Um, you you can go there and get very kind of embedded in what they do in terms of the manufacturing and how they dye the fabric, how they how the fabric is made, and that's part of the kind of the luxury of it. And it's a, a pair of you know you, you'll come up with a pair of jeans that are designed to last thirty years, but also made made to fit you. So that it's bespoke, it's bespoke, denim. and it's, it's in a way that's the couture ethic. But it's terribly understated as well. It's not heavily branded There's or it's totally not heavily marketed. It's, it's just. It, 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 classic is the wrong word, timeless is the wrong word, but it's a return to something that 
is designed in its purest form, if you like. It's kind of discreet. And discreet, yeah. So it's stealth wealth. Those jeans cost upwards of £250, which people would go and pay for at Louis Vuitton because they've got a big Louis Vuitton branding on the back. But to go and buy a pair of indigo jeans with no branding, beautifully made, you know, copper rivets, which are going to age with a patina. And it's only you know what those cost. Only you know you're wearing a luxury brand um, denim item. I think, I mean, you know, we have to say that the whole sort of street style influence on luxury is still very much there Mm. in the mainstream. But if we're looking at the sort of future of luxury and a a sort of an exciting shift, I think this this is it. Apart from sustainability, what do you think is driving this kind of move away from showiness and bling? Well, I I do think sustainability is the key thing, sort of uh, uh, kind of uh, obvious... Uh, statements of wealth and luxury are kind of a kind of uncool when you know you're be- behaving more responsibly. So I would say that sustainability is really key to what's underpinning it. It's also the fact that where uh, luxury, the whole street style thing, part of it came out of a reaction to the fact that luxury had become so kind of mainstream. You could buy a Louis Vuitton bag in any airport in the world. So they were stealing the rule book from street style and saying, okay, well, now we're going to make things limited edition, really hard to get hold of, mm. almost like a secret inside a club. And, um, you know, that that whole trend was very much a reaction to it becoming quite kind of uh, over-accessible. And, you know, potentially this is just another extension of that, that going back to the true mores of luxury, which is that it should be hard to access and it should be discreet and it should be kind of insider access. And if you, if you think back to, you know, fashion in its purest form from the 50s or whenever, you know, the, the, the highest standard of luxury was for couture. Mm. Um, now... It's almost the same thing because every couture item is bespoke, it's handmade, it's made for you. So it's personalised for you. Uh, and I think that's very much what it is now. It's it's you wanting to be a little bit more individual. You don't want to look like everyone else on Instagram or, you know, you want to make your own personal statement. Uh, it's very much about being your own person as opposed to being part of the Insta generation, I feel. Affordable couture. Affordable couture. I'm all for it. I am too. <laughs> Me too. Uh, thank you very much. That was really fascinating. Four, you know, really interesting opportunities there, I think, uh, for fashion. Um, I'd like to thank my guests, Sue Evans and Emily Gordon-Smith. And thank you for listening. I hope you'll join us next time for more Future Thinking from Stylus. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. If you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available. 